If you've ever tried to work on an area in life, if you ever tried to change, you may notice that change is very, very difficult. And it doesn't matter what the change is. It could be in an area of physical, emotional, spiritual, whatever area you're going to try to change or grow or perfect yourself in, I guarantee you're going to have a very, very difficult time doing it. Let's take an example. Something in the physical realm. You want to lose weight. Losing weight is a very, very great challenge. And most people fail at it. Studies now show that only 5% of people have any success at long-term weight loss. They can be very motivated, very driven, but sticking to a diet and in the thick and thin of things, really staying with the plan is a lot more difficult than it sounds. Let's talk about something else, exercise. If you ever launch an exercise regimen, you'll know that it requires a tremendous amount of discipline. And most people fail at it. They'll try for a while. Maybe they'll join the gym. They'll join classes, whatever it may be. But it isn't that long until things peter out and they're no longer doing it. Let's talk about emotional issues. Let's say I'm shy. I'm shy and I don't like being shy. And it bothers me. And I I really feel it's holding me back. So I work on it. I'm not going to be shy anymore. I read books about it. I talk to a coach about it. I'm really, really focused on it. And yet you'll find it's very, very difficult to change. If you have a temper, if you have a temper and you ever try to say, I will not be angry any longer, I'll forget it, I'm done. This, it's killing. It's, it's, my wife hates me. My kids won't talk to me. My employees are all running away from me. I'm going to change. And no matter how much you work on it, you'll grow a little bit. You'll change a little bit. But the bottom line is it's very, very difficult to change. What about things in the psychological area? Talk to someone who's OCD or very, very real depression and ask them, what's so hard? Just read a book about this issue. Just read Dr. Burns' book, Feeling Good. He'll explain to you how to change your thinking. You change your thinking, you change your, the way you feel, and you're good to go. But it's not so simple at all. And as a matter of fact, people struggle with this for years and years and years. Let's talk about another area. How about spirituality? How about changing in any area of ruchnius? How about working on davening, or working on learning, or amuna? or making brachas with kavana, or midos, or learning. Find me an area in anything to do with human growth, human change. You'll find it's very, very difficult, and the change comes very, very slowly. And that is a bit curious, because the entire reason we were created, and the whole reason we're here, is to grow, to change, to become bigger, better people. And one of the questions I think a person needs to ask is, gee golly, what's wrong? If Hashem created everything in this entire world for human beings alone, and we were given the mission of changing, of growing, of becoming bigger and better, why is it so hard? Why is change so slow? Why is change so difficult? And to fully appreciate this, let's focus a little bit more on this thing called creation. Hashem lacks nothing. Hashem needs nothing. And Hashem has no motivation whatsoever in giving anything in the creation other than one purpose, to give to others. Hashem created the entire cosmos, everything in creation, not because He needs, not because He lacks. He created everything because Hashem is the native, the giver. And as the Derech Hashem explains to us, Hashem created everything for one purpose, to give of His good to others. The focal point of the entire creation is man, Adam, 
Hashem saw Adam as the recipient of the ultimate good. What is the ultimate good? The ultimate good is to be close to Hashem, to bask in Hashem's glory, to be dovik to Hashem, to enjoy, as Mitzvah Hashem describes, the greatest pleasure and the greatest enjoyment that any human being can ever attain, proximity to Hashem, being close to Hashem. However, Hashem in His ultimate wisdom understood that that great pleasure had to be earned. It couldn't be just given, it couldn't just be gifted, it had to be something that man had to work for. And therefore, when Hashem created the world, Hashem created man in a position where he's in a unique position, perfect balance. He's given the opportunity to become great, or the opposite. <clears throat> given the opportunity to be greater than the malachim, or lower than a slug. But the entire world was created for one purpose and one purpose only, to give man free choice, and Adam was created in perfect balance. Perfect balance means I could just as easily do this, just as easily do that. And with my wisdom, I decide what to choose. I'm in a perfect equilibrium. I see in front of me opportunities to grow and accomplish. I choose them. I see things that are damaging to me. I avoid them. And by choosing properly and avoiding what's damaging, I grow, I become greater, and for eternity I enjoy what I shape myself into. Perfect balance. Just look. Use your intellect and decide which way to go. Now here's the problem. <laughs> that sure doesn't sound like our life. I've been at this game for 40 years now. I started Yeshiva Gedola when I was 19, and I'm, I don't want to say the exact age now, but I've been at this game for many, many decades. And I'd like to share with you, there are many days when I wake up and say, yes, I'm going to change, I'm going to work on this meet, I'm going to work on that. And I try, and I really do try, and I make real solid efforts and I find myself every Yom Kippur back in that same place and say, what? I'm still doing this? I'm still holding here? What happened to all the idealism? What happened to the drive? What happened to the learning Musr? What happened to the goals? And if you look at your life and you realize that it's not so easy to change, one of the questions I think that begs being asked is why? And again, if Hashem created everything for this purpose... And as the Derech Hashem explains to us, put man in a perfect equilibrium, in perfect balance, able to use his wisdom to choose, gee golly, where did things go wrong? And to understand the answer to this, Derech Hashem explains to us that there are two stages in the creation of man. Man before the sin, man after the sin. And let's discuss Adam Rishon before the Chait. And Hashem created Adam Rishon and put him in Gan Eden. But before Hashem created Adam, Hashem recognized that there might be a problem in creation. Adam is the focal point. Adam is the pivot. Adam is the reason for everything in creation. But much like when one prepares a banquet, first one cooks the meal, sets the table, lays everything out, and only then invites in his guest, man was to be the last part of creation because everything in creation was created for his use for him and him alone. And if it could be, Hashem realized that there might be a problem. Because he is the purpose of creation, and because he could be greater than anything in creation, Hashem was afraid that the Malachim might be jealous. And Hashem intervened. And Hashem decided to include them into the process of creating man. If they're involved, it's less likely that they'll be jealous. Nasa Adam. 
shall we create man? The Medrash says that Hashem asked and the Malachim, should we create man? The Malachim said, Maktivo, what this man, what is his nature? His wisdom is greater than yours. And then the Medrash explains to us that Hashem set out to prove that Adam's wisdom is greater than the greatest angels. Hashem said to Malachim, name the animals. Name the animals. Malachim could not do it. They didn't know. Hashem created Adam and then brought each animal in front of Adam and said, name the animals. Zuchamor, Zushor, Zugamal. Each animal he just gave the proper name to. The Medjur says at that point the Malachim were astounded, flabbergasted by the wisdom, the brilliance of Adam. I'd like to explain to you this Medrash. You see, when we use a name, it's a label of convenience. So for instance, and something with four legs and a thing that goes across, we call a table. Something that's, uh, and that comes up from the ground, 100 feet tall and has leaves, we call a tree. Something that's bulky, massive, and consistent, we call a rock. There's no direct connection between those terms and the object. There's nothing that describes this as a table as opposed to a o, or a tree as opposed to a we, or a rock as opposed to a lock. That's just a term of convenience that refers to that object, a convenient way of all of us using the same term so we know what we're talking about. When Hashem created the world, <clears throat> Hashem created the world, Kodesh. and when Hashem created the world, it was with phenomenal wisdom, all of it stemming from the Torah, and everything was coded, everything was properly arranged. The Efei Torah, one of the Mepharshim on the Medrash explains, and when Hashem said to the Malachim, name the animals, He wasn't asking for a term of convenience, a label. Define the essence. Define the proclivity. Define the nature of this animal. I want one phrase that's the DNA that actually defines the essence of the animal. And as great as the wisdom of the Malachim was, they didn't have a clue. Who could have one phrase that actually defines the essence of the tiger versus the baboon versus the iguana? Who could know such things? And when Odom Arishan was created, Hashem said, Name the animals. Zuchamor, Zugamal, Zushor. With tremendous, tremendous pikhus, incredible wisdom, He defined the essence, the nature, the character traits of the animal. With one phrase, He summed it up exactly the Lashon HaKodesh with which Hashem created that animal, which was the definition of the animal. And when the Malachim saw that wisdom, they were astonished, they were amazed. You see, when Adam Arishan opened his eyes, he came equipped with a fully loaded Wikipedia, all of the wisdom in creation inserted into his brain, and brilliance and understanding, and a tremendous amount of ability to perceive, understand, wisdom beyond anything we could imagine. Quantum mechanics, laws of physics, everything that Hashem created the world with, Adam grasped and understood the essence, the spirit, the nature and in one phrase, he defined everything in creation. And at that moment, when he did that, at that moment, creation really began. Because until that point, nothing was complete. Everything was ready. Everything was almost there. But it wasn't until Adam named the animals. Only then did nature really begin. Then the animals could procreate. They could begin the, begin the next generations. Only then did the world begin. And there was one more thing that Hashem said to Adam. Shem said to Adam, you are put into Gan Eden. You're put into Gan Eden, 
and given the opportunity to grow, to change, to become perfect, to be, reach perfection, and in that state of perfection, you will live for eternity. However, it's your free choice. Do this, don't do that. Don't eat from the Hitzadas, do this, don't do that. But you see, Adam Arishan was very different than you and I. Adam Arishan was in perfect balance. But not just in perfect balance, his neshama was able to change the essence of him. So for instance, if he decided he wanted to lose weight, for argument's sake, he wouldn't have to go on a diet, he wouldn't have to count calories, he would just say to himself, I no longer wish to crave carbohydrates. I no longer wish to crave fats. And with that decision, with that will, he would change the inner nature of himself. His Nefesha Bahami, his animal soul, his nature was malleable, was plastic. At his will, his Neshama could change the essence of him and make him into a vastly different person. I'm a tad too lazy. <laughs> changed. You know, a little haughtiness. Changed. He was completely plastic, able to use his wisdom, able to use his understanding to change the essence of him. But not to change his conduct, to change his nature, to change his proclivities, his desires, to change the essence of him. He was completely malleable, completely able to change. If you'd like to understand Adam Rishon, it was as if he put a bear suit on. As if Hashem took an Ashama and took an eye, a you, and put that eye of you into the suit of a bear. But he was a complete man wearing a bear suit, wearing the shape of a human being, but completely above it, completely beyond it, wearing but the skin of the bear, wearing but the skin of a man, but completely pure neshama, able to change, able to use his wisdom, and in perfect equilibrium. And there was one more thing that Hashem said to Adam, Pay attention that you do not destroy my world. The reason for creation was Adam. The pivot point of creation was Adam. And Hashem effectively gave the keys of Maisa Barashas to Adam Arishon. You see, the Derech Hashem explains what we don't understand is that everything in the physical world is dependent on its spiritual underpinnings. If you see a rock, you see a tree, you see a blade of grass, there's a spiritual element to that, there's a sar, there's a malach that keeps it doing what it should be doing, that directs it, and everything in the physical world has a spiritual counterpart, and everything in the physical world is dependent on that spiritual counterpart. When Hashem said to Adam Rishon, look at the beautiful trees of Gan Eden, and Medrash tells us Hashem took him around and said, look at the beauty of this world, I made it all for you. Pay careful attention that you don't destroy it. What Hashem was explaining to Adam Rishon is that everything in creation is dependent on him. Not that he's going to take a hatchet and chop down the trees. Not that he's the warden of the physical world. Everything in the spiritual world is dependent on how man uses it. If man uses a table properly, it elevates the kadusha of it. If man misuses it, it demotes it in spirituality. What Hashem is saying to Adam Rishon is the world is in perfect balance. Not just you, but the actual world. And the spiritual dimension of the world is in perfect balance. Use the world properly, you'll elevate it. You'll elevate you, you'll change, you'll grow. 
but the world itself will be elevated with you. The spiritual dimensions will become much more pure and much more holy. Misuse it, and you're going to damage the spiritual world. What Hashem is saying to Adam Rishon is, here are the keys. As you use the world, the world will be. And when Adam Rishon sinned, he destroyed the world. He destroyed the spiritual elements of the world, damaged them, and thereby the physical world changed, and thereby the entire world changed. The Derech Hashem explains that when Hashem says, now death is to be introduced, it wasn't a punishment. And Misa, death, wasn't part of the original program. Originally, Adam was created, put into Gan Eden, and he was supposed to live forever, be challenged, grow, reach a level of perfection, and in that state, live for eternity. Death was not part of the picture. When Adam ate from the eight sadas, Hashem did not introduce death as a punishment, as you did a wrong thing, you're going to be killed, but rather death was now a necessity. And the world, as Hashem originally created it, no longer could function as it was created to function. No longer can man reach that level of perfection. No longer can man just change himself, grow, and for eternity be what he shaped himself into. And now there have to be new stages. A man would be given a chance to grow here. Then he would have to die. His neshama would go to Olam neshamos and stay there for a while. And then there would be Tchiyas Amesim put into a new form of body, similar to the Marishan, but the world as it was now could no longer function. The world could no longer be come perfect, and Adam destroyed the world. And if you like to understand on a practical level what happened, is that before the sin, Adam wore the suit of the bear. After the sin, he was put inside the bear. He now had urges and drives and desires of the bear. He still had a brilliant mind, and he still had an understanding, but he also had desires, needs, appetites that weren't part of his neshama, that came directly from the bear, he was put into the body of the bear. A mushal. I want you to imagine for a minute the following. Imagine Hashem says, I have to change your body and to put you into the body of another person. Now listen, Hashem, you know what you're doing, I trust you, fine. And you find yourself put into the body of another human being, you, the essence of you, and transplanted into another person's body. But there's only one thing. This person has been smoking for 20 years. And you find yourself in this body, and you say, oh, I need a cigarette. I got, wait a minute, I need a cigarette. I got to smoke. I gotta, wait a minute, I need a smoke. I got to smoke. I never smoke. I need to, I, just, I need it. I need the nicotine. I need, I need, I need, and you find yourself find, looking, for, for, looking for matches, looking for cigarettes. What am I doing? I, I, I need, I need, what do you mean I need it? I never smoked before in my life. I never want to taste it. I need it. I just need it. And you find a cigarette, and you find a match, and you light it. Oh, what are you doing? What are you doing, you behemoth? What are you, so, I need, I just stop, stop, I need, and you find yourself in utter contradiction. I've never smoked before. I don't want to, but I need to smoke. That was Adam after the sin. No longer fully discretional. No longer sitting above wearing the skin of the bear, put into the bear's body with the appetites, the drives, with all of the instincts. He was now mixed in and mixed up. And if you'd like to understand Adam after the sin, all you have to do is visit the zoo, watch a National Geographic, just study any animal in the wild kingdom. And you'll see that every animal has a nefesh abahami. The Chovah Zavavah explains to us that when Hashem created each animal, Hashem put into the nefesh of that animal all of the instincts, the desires, the proclivities, inclinations to keep that animal alive. 
as well as bring along the next generation. The bear hungers. The tiger naturally has instincts. Each animal in the wild kingdom has all of the instincts, drives, and desires needed to keep itself alive. The robin doesn't think about the fact of the <clears throat> general availability as well as the nutritional needs. It hungers for the worm. The cat hungers for the mouse. It doesn't recognize that it has tools to catch the mouse with and that the mouse is the ideal food source. It naturally, instinctively hungers for the mouse, knows how to chase it, knows how to catch it, knows how to bring it to its death. Each animal is created with all of the instincts, desires, and appetites to keep itself alive and to bring along the next generation. And the animal kingdom is perfect in that way. Man before the sin had no connection to the animal kingdom. Man before the sin wore a bare skin, but wasn't pulled by appetites, wasn't pulled by drives, wasn't in a state of confusion. After the sin, man changed the essence of creation, changed the essence of himself. He now was mixed into the animal soul so that within him were drives and appetites, desires that he had no connection to previously. But now we're pulling at him and wanting to be, and all of a sudden he was in a very, very different place. I'd like to give you a muscle that I really got to sense and feel very, very clearly. You may have heard this before, but it bears repeating. Quite a number of years ago, when my wife had our first child, she put on some weight, and she went on what I call the sit diet. The sit diet is you take a slice of chocolate cake in this hand, you take a Diet Coke in this hand, you say the words, I'm so fat, I'm so fat, I'm so fat, you eat the entire wedge of chocolate cake and drink the Diet Coke. Now, my wife is one of the sharpest people I know, but soon after having our first child, she went on the sit diet, and I said, this is going nowhere. I said, listen... If you want to be heavy, I'm okay with that. You want to be slim, I'm okay with that. But the self-inflicted torture diet, the sit diet, it's not going anywhere. Anyway, my words weren't going anywhere either. So I said to my wife, okay, we're going to Weight Watchers. Now, again, this was many years ago. I was a young fellow in Kolo, and there was a meeting midday. I had a break for lunch, and I went with my wife to this Weight Watchers meeting. And you have to appreciate the fact that I'm the only male in the room, and I sit down with the rest of the women. I sit next to my wife. And the leader gets up to begin the class. And she says, okay, ladies, tell me about your week. One woman says, oh, I was doing so well. And then someone brought potato chips to, to work. Oh, potato chips. I hear the other woman groan. And the woman says, I was doing great. And somebody brought chocolate cake. Oh, chocolate cake. I hear everyone groan. And I saw these women losing it right in front of my eyes. And I said to myself, I don't get it. What's the problem? Weight Watchers is a very controlled diet. Plenty of food, balance, no one goes hungry, you have snacks, you have food. What's the problem? Just stick to the diet and stop. What's the problem? The problem is that I can make a very clear, rational decision not to touch another morsel of chocolate cake again. And that clear, rational decision is fine and well until I'm hungry and there's a piece of chocolate cake right there. And it's at that moment that I discover what being a human being is really about. Because there's a voice inside me that says, absolutely not. I'm not going to touch it. It's not good for me. Not what I want. I'm not doing it. But there's another voice that says, "Mm, no, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. And I eat the entire trip. What happened? I made a firm decision. I decided I don't want it. I decided not to eat it. And suddenly I ate it. 
And if you'd like to understand what being a human being is about, that's exactly the reality. I want and I don't want. I absolutely, completely don't want this, but I do. I don't, I do, I don't, I do, I do. And I'm in utter, complete contradiction. But why? Because I am inside this body. I, the brilliant thinking neshama that was under Hashem's kisya covered, was put into this body, and in this body I'm mixed in and mixed up with other desires and needs. There's a nefesh of Bahami. There's a nefesh of sikhli, a brilliant part of me that's only pure, but I'm mixed in and mixed up into this nefesh of Bahami, like put into the body of that smoker. I need to smoke. What do you mean? I need to smoke. I, never I need to smoke. I need to smoke. Because I'm inside this body. The body's needs talk to me, and all day, every day, and they pull at me. Now, the reason why I found that experience at Weight Watchers so eye-opening is because as a yeshiva bacher, and then later in life as a rebbe, I got to live with this day in and day out, and it's part of any yeshiva fellow's life. Just deal with a reality called, I make a decision, I'm going to change. And talk to a guy who's working on not doing whatever it may be. And he makes the decision, and he's not going to do it. And he's firm in his decision, and then he finds himself a week later doing exactly what he swore he'd never do again. And when you recognize that the I am in utter, complete contradiction, you begin to understand life. And it's a book that I highly recommend. Alcoholics Anonymous, the big book, is a phenomenal read. I believe it's a Musa safer. I believe there's so much to be gained from it. But I'd like to share with you one aspect of it. If you purchase a copy of the big book, and I have four copies in my home, by the way, you'll find story after story about people who know that drinking is devastating to them. It's destructive. And they know that taking one more drink might kill me, and they also know that I can't not take another drink. And they have this sense of desperation. I know how destructive it is, I know how damaging it is, and yet I can't stop this behavior. What's wrong with me? What's my problem? What what is the issue? And while addiction is a very real issue and has particular mechanics and ways to deal with it, I'd like to share with you that exact reality is all of us. The only difference between me and the addict is one. My life is still manageable. But I also have many, many things that I should, that I need to work on. But the difference is I'm not forced to. Let's say I have a temper. Let's say I have arrogance. Let's say I'm lazy. Let's say I'm selfish. I could excuse my behaviors away And I could blame the rest of the world, and it's everyone else's problem. Yes, my kids hate me, whatever. It's true that I'm jealous all day long, but whatever. And if I'm clever enough, I can create enough rationalities, enough excuses, that I could wash it away, and I could feel my life is still manageable. What happens to the addict is his life becomes no longer manageable. And when his life becomes no longer manageable, He's forced to reach that clear, very clear understanding. I need to change, and doggone it, I can't do it. What do I do? But that reality is all of us. That reality is life. The one gift that addicts have that the rest of us don't have is the gift of desperation. 
when you know that your life will come to an end unless you change, there's desperation and you're forced to face reality. The rest of us get to whatever, get to pass it off, but that is Adam after the sin. And there's one more step that you need to understand if you want to understand us. The Neshama was created to change the Nefesh Bahami. It's supposed to be like a rider riding the horse, where the rider determines where the horse goes left or the horse goes right. And the rider sitting on top of the horse determines the direction of the horse. But that was Adam before the sin. Now we're like the centaur, that Greek mythological animal, the man inside the horse. But it's not just a man inside a horse's body, mixed in and mixed up, and all day, every day, different things pulling at me, and different things driving me. And now, change is very, very difficult. We mentioned Moshe, the drunk Yeshiva Bacher. He's drunk. He's literally drunk. He can't see things. He can't understand things. That's me. I can't perceive. But why can't I perceive? Because I'm forced to think in this physical body. I'm forced to think through this physical brain. This brain has a Nefesh Bahami. It's mixed in and mixed up. And because of that, I'm ever confused, ever in war with myself. But even more than that, the thoughts that cross my mind often are so strange that if I weren't living inside here, I'd be aghast. Do you ever notice you could be very happy, kind, and wonderful until somebody says one line and suddenly whoosh, my entire reality changes. <clears throat> I see red. I say words I would never have said before and do things I would never dream of doing and suddenly I'm a different human being. Why? I'm angry. I'm angry. I lost my temper. I lost my temper. You hurt my feelings. You touched my ego. I lost my temper and I said what I said. Okay, that's what being a human being is about. Do you understand how strange that is? And do you understand how queer that is? Ask the person who lost his temper the next day, how does he feel? I can't believe I said those words to my wife, to my friend, to my... I, I, can't, I can't believe I uttered the... What, what was I thinking? What happened? And what happened is the Nefesh Bahami took over. And the Nefesh Bahami took over, and now crossing my brain are thoughts that I never thought of before, and never would think of. And like that smoker who says... I never smoke. Why do I want to smoke? But I put it into the smoker's body. And suddenly I need to smoke. What do you mean I need to smoke? I need a nickname. What do you mean? I, I don't even know. But I, I only smoke Marlboro. What do you mean Marlboro? I don't even know what the cigarette looks like. What are you talking about? Oh, I don't like the cigarette. I like that one. These aren't fresh. What do you... What do you? When you put into the body the drives, the instincts, the appetites, are put in there with you. And if you'd like to fully understand what it's like, I have a very simple muscle. I want you to imagine that there's a family with five school-age kids. And they're eating dinner. Very nice. And when dinner's over, they all vie for the one family computer. Five kids and one computer. And they're all sitting there at the computer. Based on which child has control of the keyboard is what is going to show up on the screen. So if one kid wants to do his math homework, maybe Excel will come up. Another child wants to work on social studies, he'll bring up a literature project. And the based on which child is controlling the keyboard and will determine what the screen shows, but each of the children are watching the same screen. That's exactly you and I. You see, I'm inside this body, but in this screen called my brain, my conscious mind, 
there are different forces that sometimes take over the keyboard. Sometimes it's me, cool, calm, collected, rational thinking, and I'm kind and I'm nice. But sometimes different parts of the Nefesh Bahami might take over the keyboard. And let's imagine for a minute it's anger. And suddenly the keyboard is flashing words. That guy, what he said to you, after what I did for him, and how much I've done for him, the chutzpah, the other, what are you doing? What are you saying? You should scream. What do you should scream? Why should I scream? You should scream. Why should I? Why? Why? And suddenly across my conscious mind are thoughts that I never thought before. And suddenly there are desires that I never desired before. And if you've ever caught yourself thinking thoughts that are strange or odd, know and understand you're not always in control of that keyboard. Something else, it might have been anger, it might have been jealousy, it might have been laziness, took control of that keyboard, and suddenly across the consciousness of your mind came very different thoughts, and now you can understand why change is so, so very difficult. You see, I'm no longer on top of the horse. I'm no longer like Adam before the singes wearing the bearskin, put into this body confused and mixed up, and now change is extraordinarily difficult. Physical change is difficult, emotional change is difficult, and spiritual change is difficult. Why? Because I'm sane and rational some of the time. But much of the time, I lose my rationality. And much of the time, I lose my clear, conscious thinking. And no matter what, I'm always in a state of drunkenness, always in a state of confusion because I'm mixed into the bear's body with the bear's desires, the bear's needs, and anything can hijack me. It could be the wrong word, the wrong time. It could be my being hungry, my being tired or cranky. And suddenly I have flashes of thoughts that are so out of character and so different than me. And suddenly it's very hard to embark on a... It's no longer subject to my changing it. I can't just say I will it to be that I will not crave carbohydrates. No longer do I crave it. I will it to be that I will no longer have a temper, and suddenly I don't have a temper anymore. That was Adam before the sin. He was given control. His neshama was so powerful, and he was outside the body, and all he had to do was make a decision, and he could change at will any aspect of the Nefesh Bahami. But when he ate from the eight sadas, he destroyed the world, changed the essence of the world. And now in this new state, number one, I'm confused. Number two, I have thoughts that come from different parts. But more than anything, I cannot change the Nefesh Bahami. I can control my behavior. If I decide to diet, I can make a very clear regimen. And maybe if I'm very, very strict and very disciplined, I can change my behavior. I could stop eating excess carbohydrates. I can stop eating chocolate cake, but I can't change the desire. That desire is there. Oh, maybe after much work and much time, I can slowly eke out minor changes, but it's such minor, slow changes. If you want to change your appetite, it takes years and years of focus, attention, years and years of dedication, and you change it a little bit. But no longer is change easy. And we were not put here to be buff and lose weight. We were put here for the ultimate growth, to change the essence of I, and to become godlike, to become kindly, to become perfect in my midos. And that change is even more difficult. And when you think about this, you begin, you begin to understand this strange creature called I, and this strange creature called human being. And at a certain point, you may ask the following question. Gee golly, it doesn't seem fair. 
Why do I have to suffer? Because of Adam Rishon. Adam Rishon made this big mistake, and he blew it. Why do I have to suffer? Man now is at war with himself. Man is at war with his inner essence. And I am a man, and I have to suffer because that guy, because he, how many thousands of years ago, he ate from the eights of dust. He blew it, so I have to suffer. That doesn't sound very fair. And it doesn't sound very appropriate that Hashem will create the world that way. And I'd like to share with you one of the most profound concepts that you need to understand. It is very true that being Adam Arishon before the sin is a miraculous and phenomenal opportunity. And if you could just imagine opening your eyes, a fully mature human being, with a brilliant Wikipedia loaded into your brain that understands so much, and you open your eyes and you see the world, replete with wonder, the animals, the trees, the sky, the sun, and you recognize your Creator, and you recognize that everything in creation was made for you. It's a heady concept. It's beyond understanding. But because Adamarishan had such clarity, had such vision, had such clear understanding, and there was also no shoulder on the road. You see, there was no room for mistakes because he was so clearly holy. And because his vision was so clear, and there was no room for error. And the proof in the pudding is, Adam sinned one sin, and suddenly the entire world was destroyed. But why? Many of us have sinned many times. I'm embarrassed to say, I speak Lashon, I've done things wrong. How come the world doesn't just suddenly destroy? Because you and I have nowhere near the clarity. We have nowhere near that understanding. Adam Marishan was in such perfect equilibrium and could so easily change himself that there was no room for error, no room for mistakes. And once he made that one error, he destroyed the world. And while it's true, on the one hand, it would seem to be much better to have been in that world of Gan Eden and just make a few decisions and suddenly you grow imperfect, it might be true that a few, few singular Sadiqim would make it, but I'd like to share with you, I believe that the vast majority of humanity wouldn't, because it's one slip and one mistake and is absolute judgment, because a Malach is judged with incredible, incredible scrutiny, because you knew better, you could have done better, there's no excuse for your behavior. And if you'd like to know why Hashem created Adam, put him in Gan Eden knowing that man would sin, it's because really Hashem wanted the world to be created with plan B. The world that we live in is plan B. The world we live in is a lot of suffering, a lot of pain, a lot of difficult moments, and more than anything, mankind himself, man himself is at war with himself. And that sure isn't pretty. And in that sense, Hashem could not create a world this way. A perfect creator is too kindly, too giving, too magnificently caring to create an imperfect world. But here's the problem. It's much better for humanity if there is an imperfect world. Why? Because now in my state of utter confusion, now in war with myself, if I slip up, there's plenty of shoulder to the road. There's plenty of room to make mistakes. And there's a concept called tshuva. I could say to Hashem, I blew it, I forget, please forgive me. And if I do a real tshuva, it's gone, the mistake. But why? How could that be? How could it be? Because I really am, I can't be held fully accountable. I'm in utter confusion. I'm always mixed up. I'm always confused. I'm, I'm inside the bear's body. What could you expect of an Adam? And in plan B, there's a tremendous amount of shoulder to the road. 
you could blow it, you could go off the derrick, whatever, and you could come back. But how could it be? Look what you did. Look what you... Yeah, okay. But I'm a confused human being. Put into this bear's body, everything is dark, everything is confusing, everything is muddied. As a result, I did that. And there's plenty of room for error and plenty of room for tshuva and plenty of room for people to come back and say, Hashem, I blew it and the mistake is forgiven and you grow and accomplish. In the world that Adam Arishan was put into, plan A, there was no such shoulder to the road. And it's true. Of the billions of people who came into the world, there might have been a few who would have been able to be in that world and reach perfection, but the vast, vast majority would never have succeeded. And therefore, Hashem wanted plan B. And plan B allows for a person to grow and accomplish. And if he messes up this, okay, you come back, you change, you grow, whatever, slowly. But there's plenty of shoulder to the road. But here's the problem. Hashem can't create a plan B. How could a perfect creator create an imperfect world? How could a giving, caring, loving creator create a world with so much pain? And if Hashem put Adam into Gan Eden and started plan A, so to speak, biding his time, waiting. Oh, I sinned. Ah, Baruch Hashem, great. Now, now I could create plan B. Not me, Hashem says. It's you. And he had something to wipe his hands on, Kaviachal. And there Hashem explains to us that this is the ultimate chesed, to create the world in plan B, because plan B allows us to grow, allows us to make mistakes, and allows us to get back on track. When you understand that, you understand that Hashem did a very, very good job at doing this thing called creation. Hashem put us in perfect balance, not like Adam Rishon in perfect equilibrium, but in perfect balance with the ability to reach our level of perfection. Adam Rishon had absolute clarity. We don't have that. Adam Rishon could change himself. We don't have that. But we do have a Torah. We have mitzvahs. We have an exact path to follow. And yes, it's very, very difficult to change. But because of that, it's understood. It's understood if we don't make it. It's understood if we don't reach perfection. Our little small steps are considered great steps. And human being can grow and accomplish. He can follow the mitzvahs and become much greater. And at the end of the day, this is the ultimate level of chesed, because in this state, the human being can reach his level of perfection and for eternity be that which he shaped himself into. When you understand the essence of I, and you understand why Hashem put us here, you begin to understand the world. It is true. Change is very difficult. There's a lot of trouble, a lot of work, a lot of things that really are very, very hard. But that's all part of the magnificent plan of creation. Why? Because it allows me to actually grow, to change incrementally, to change very slowly, to be rewarded for the change that I do accomplish, and that which I can't do, I'm not held accountable for. But in either case, there's plenty of shoulder to the road, and plenty of room to grow within what's expected, and a person can reach a level of perfection. As we continue the series, we're going to try to understand a little bit more the different elements of the human being, the soul, and his job here, and the challenges that he faces.